Welcome to episode 398 of the Overlook Hour. I'm your host, Clark Little. Along with me, as always, is the man sitting across the table from me, wearing his pet scary hat. It's Russell John the Fisherman. Yeah, I should get a new hat. Why? I, I kind of like it, but... I don't know. It's I feel your like the bit's getting old. I know. Scary hand. You know what's funny is uh, the old programmer from the Alamo, Mike Keegan. When I saw him in the lobby of the Balboa Theater, he went, "Is that a uh, is that a scary sixty first hat?" And I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Awesome." Now, like, how the fuck did you know that? I know. I would have thought uh, it because it, it looks like that Scary Tales font. Yeah, it looks completely generic. Like yeah. you were walking down Hate Street and bought a hat that just said "scary" on it. Oh, speaking of overpriced merch, uh, later on we'll be talking about a movie that also has terrible merch that I'm probably going to buy. Oh, I love <laughs> terrible merch. Uh, joining us in on the subject of terrible merch is a man who sold it many, many <laughs> bad t-shirts for many years is Randy DeMichael Stapp. That's me. What's up? Yeah, what the fuck, Randy? Your band never made shirts in my size. You never got up in the XL double X. And I've never been able to fit into your band t-shirts that I've got. (laughs) You know, when uh, usually you're the one paying for the band t-shirts, you make like two of the sizes that most people don't buy. And so I think by the time uh, I had met you, we probably had already sold out of them. That's true. I just, (laughs) well, I think you just need more fat friends. Yeah, what the fuck? That may be true as well. That's what I thought. See, fat people aren't into crying because they eat a lot of food and they're happy. Yeah. So they don't listen to Randy's crybaby music. That's fair. Yeah. We eat fast food and then we jerk off with the grease on our fingers from the french fries. And then we're fine and we don't need to hear about fucking sad music about daddy didn't love us enough. Because we know that and we we, bury that hole with food. And we don't have to blink 182 times. (laughs) They're back mm-hmm. together. Did you hear that? No. Yeah, they're back. Yep. Wait, the UFO dude's back in the band? I think so. Yeah. Oh, I've never actually heard him rant about UFOs, but I love Dan Aykroyd doing it, so I think I'd be into him. Do you love Dan Aykroyd doing it? Because, boy, does it exhaust me. You you want a little bit of levity in there, but there's none. <laughs> He's completely no, deadpan the but, whole time. But that's part of the reason why we love Dan Aykroyd. I know. Because I, I love him. He's a fucking weirdo. Well, he's talented, too. He's super talented. So when you're really good at something, you get room to be weird in well, other he's, degrees. He's, he will always be Elwood Blues to me, so it's fine. Well, I mean, you know, as I was saying that, you know, if you're a genius in one area, you can do weird shit in others. And I think Kanye may be proving me wrong. Have they found so, him, by the way? I don't is he know. not missing? I don't, I can't <laughs> trust anybody anymore. I don't uh, think Jordan is at the point. Joining us on that on a Kanye update is our Kanye uh, expert, Oksana Valerina Osachi, uh, which is which is part of the reason why our show is as deep as it is, because we actually assigned the Jewish lady <laughs> the Kanye patrol. So uh, any update on Kanye? He is not missing. Oh, very good. Exciting. <laughs> All right. Well, you heard that, ladies and gentlemen. Did we'll you make you that up week. or did you actually look it up? I've never looked up. Elvis. Okay. <laughs> also expected. Yeah, good. I was looking up Dan Aykroyd. I cannot ever <laughs> spell his name. It's by design. May, may I ask a question? What can you spell? <laughs> I spell slightly better than Russell sometimes. That's, I mean. that's not anything <laughs> to brag about. Oh, boy. If I think about any word too much, I start to doubt everything. Sure. Yeah. That's my existence. Yeah. 
And there's some words like, uh, uh, oh God, um, initially that will always autocorrect into like internally or yeah. like something close. And I never catch it. Yeah. Or, you know, receipt. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. Fuck that. The <laughs> I and the E always throw me off. Um, well, congratulations. I want to thank everybody for surviving the worst storm to ever hit California oh, this man. past week. We had uh, bulletins all through the city. There was a sinkhole. I bomb cyclone. And um, we canceled the white elephant party. A soy bomb cyclone. We didn't go see an early screening of Megan. I think I didn't. He didn't finish introducing Randy. He did. Well, he did. Oh, my God. Can you pay attention? Look, We need our producers to be like present. I thought it was weird that you introduced me before Randy. Do you have oh my do you have God. a thermos full of rosé over there again? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> now, okay. So back to the very important storm that uh, was the biggest fucking red herring ever. Canceled all plans. I even, I feel bad. Because two times I've really gotten serious with Terrell, who uh, thanks again for joining us on the Lookies last week. I promise all the awards have been mailed out. The prestigious Golden Bull. Um yeah, and, and this was one of them. I'm like, dude, you can't go. The storm's going to be terrible. Both times, I was proven wrong. The storm and COVID. <laughs> I was like, dude, you got to get off the apps, you dude. Better, COVID is going to kill you. You better over-prepare, though. I'm, I'm, sure. <laughs> I'm with you, though. I was I was ready for that storm to uh, dude, you were worried. give us the full brunt. You came down, you're like, I'm not worried about the water. It's the wind. Of course it's the wind. <laughs> of course it's the wind, because we've got these fucking little... Things over the our carport. Oh, yeah. We boarded up all the windows too. Like we're in the podcast room. I know. I just feel about that giant plastic visqueen thing is gonna pop up and decapitate me when I'm out there enjoying one of my dalliances. You can hear it. We um. So we have a little carport, and above it is like these plastic shingle things. Yeah. And we have a vine bush that is very aggressive, and the vine bush destroys the plastic shingle things, and one of them just flaps in the wind. And it's very big and like heavy. Very heavy. And it, yeah, it feels like it would decapitate you. Well, yeah. It would. There's yeah. no question. I know. I've gone out there. Me and Hoxon have both gone out there and tried to fix it. And it just keeps popping up. I would be decapitated and y'all would be both sad and excited. Because, sad because you <laughs> lost your friend and captain of this show. And B, you would be excited because it would be very final destination. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we need a security camera before yeah, it happens. That is true. And then you give it to your Fuck boyfriend Dave's James Dobbins Jones. Oh, dude, <laughs> put it in part hey, two. You brought him up, James Dobbins Jones, director of Charlotte's Net, the most uh, infamous film ever in Uff and on this podcast. Uh, had a little glow up. If you follow him on IG, you can see boys looking ripped. I'm very jealous. And if he wasn't 20 years younger than me, I would fight him in Mortal Kombat because I feel threatened. Glow up. Uh, shout out to James Dobbins. Jones. Yeah, he had a glow up and I all threw up. How about that? So, Randy, I don't know if you can look behind me, but you see that black yeah. bar? <laughs> I believe that's like a curtain rod yes. that we shoved in there to hold the window up. Mm -hmm. Oh, nice. Yeah, we're ready for the zombie apocalypse. Again, this is not the window that attacked you. It was the other one. That's a true callback that's for... <laughs> God, but it, uh, the more shit y'all put on the windows and walls it looks like the barbarian house up in here oh hell yeah <laughs> like we're trying to track motherfuckers um the last piece of uh bookkeeping for this week uh david lynch has still not come out so you know as a clause i think it's time we're gonna cut his benefits uh it costs a lot i don't know if anybody out there knows about running a business we're gonna cut his sever <laughs> he gets a one week severance 
Uh, well, I mean, all his benefits were still active. We're going to shut them give down. give him a month. So, Randy, get the paperwork out. We're going to have to let him go. I am going to say, if anybody out there, um, <laughs> I should probably say our producers are very busy, which is why I'm not asking them. But if anybody knows any other uh, aging celebrity directors that do uh, daily <laughs> YouTube videos, go ahead and uh, write in and, you know, I'll contact them and maybe we can hire somebody. Um, just let me know. You can do it in the Discord, too. Uh, you know who does? It's not on YouTube. It's on Twitter. Okay, that works. OJ Simpson. Not a director. <laughs> OJ Simpson. Man, the thing about OJ, oh, you know, it could work. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I'll take care. I, it's just, I get mad sometimes because he'll talk about crime and he'll come from this like moral standpoint. Of course. And it's like, you murdered people. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. And, but he got away. Well, and in his mind, he's convinced that he did not do it. Because he's O.J. Simpson, made in America. Yeah. I mean, maybe, you know what? He might be perfect for the show. <laughs> Dude, that is the best eight-hour documentary of all time. <laughs> you know what's funny is, uh, again, I'm going to be serious for once. And uh, I do think we cover a wide uh, spectrum of film. And we, we manage to take things seriously and both uh, in a harmonious tone or humorous tone is probably what I wanted to say. And... I think we actually do some good work on here and we dig up weird shit too. And then we bury it with this up top shit. We talk about food and farts and uh, no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not I'm just, it's, it. it's a hard barrier to get over. So if you're, if you made it this far in the episode, I just want to thank you on behalf of the team. Hey, and you either listen or you don't listen. I don't give a fuck <laughs> which one you do, but do it and leave me the hell alone. Randy, you go. <laughs> uh, Randy. Yeah. That that's why I got to keep putting the uh, time codes in the episodes, which I haven't done for the last couple that have been very long. But, but for people that don't pay for this, y'all bitch a lot. Who does pay for it? We pay. I do. I know. We pay. <laughs> okay. So as long as we enjoy it. Emotionally. Yeah. And David Lynch, uh, again, we were not going to be paying for him. So I'm serious. If you know any directors, I, I really don't want to do OJ. I'd hate to give that guy money. Also, I don't want him in the house. <laughs> what the, you, you're worried about being decapitated. True. You want to invite OJ over? You saw what he did to those other white people. That's true. <laughs> He'd never hurt a baby. <laughs> the baby, the baby. I don't want to find out. The baby protects you. Hey, at, at the rate our baby is growing, he'll be able to take OJ in a minute. <laughs> you want the baby to grow. He's gotten into some radioactive shit. He's multiplying. Oh, so imagine dragons. What? <laughs> Is that a lyric I don't know about? It's a song. Radioactive. Oh, God. I fucking hate that band. Of Why? course They're you the know. They're the best them. band, dude. They're they, the fucking worst. Uh, well, the, the Impractical Jokers opened for them. I that You know what? I will say when they were on Impractical Jokers, I did think, hey, maybe they're cool. Because they let that happen. And I'm sure there are many bands and many lawyers who would not let something like that happen. Okay. Now, you have to choose. Imagine Dragons are twenty one. Are Randy's parents' favorite band, the Chainsmokers? Is that true, Randy? I think they've listened to them. I don't know if <laughs> they love them, but yeah. I don't really know the Chainsmokers, so I'll just go with that. Oh, I'll take Imagine Dragons all day. The fact that they're vintage makes me think that the threshold for them to become popular was higher. So. <laughs> I think the talent is more demanding there. You know, what, what name do you like more? Oh, man. I kind of hate them both. Dragons. Imagine Dragons is the worst. It yeah. rhymes. 
Imagine Dragon. No, it doesn't. Imagine Dragon. Come on. What did you say, Randy? I said, and it's fantasy, dude. Come on. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's why I feel threatened. Yeah, I'm offended <laughs> by it. It's stupid. Also, yeah, uh, but the chain smokers. Yeah, well, that, uh, you know, I like goth. Yeah, but I used to be a chain smoker and you hate oh my me. God. That's because I love you and I didn't want you to rot from the inside. Yeah, but now I chain smoke marijuana, which is <laughs> way cooler. Yeah, way cooler. Okay. It's weird now. How do we start the show? David Lynch normally put a timestamp on it. For people listening, we are recording. It is January 8th. It is a Sunday. Oh, two days. It's a little overcast. Uh, spirits are high. I'm drinking coffee again. I'm currently, I have a glass chalice full of two-day-old coffee. The thing is, you can regenerate coffee by just adding ice. What do you mean by regenerate? I'll agree with that. I'm not into yeah. um, microwaving old coffee, but I'll do it iced. Yep, exactly. Microwaving coffee's fine. It was on the pot, and I'm like, I think I made this two days ago. And I'm like, I know how to bring that back. Put a little uh, God's love in there. Bring it back like it's sun. I just, I don't like iced coffee. Okay. <laughs> I just don't like it. Put some sugar in it and have a blunt. I'm sure you'll love it. No, no, no. No, this fucking boba. You drink ginger beer. You can't. Yeah, but it's better. With your pinky out. If (laughs) if I'm going to drink a sugary drink, it it better be carbonated. Oh, Oh, you could carbonate coffee. Pass. Why? You haven't tried it? I don't. I fucking hate coffee sugary drinks. I hate that shit. I hate a boba. I don't want to drink petroleum balls. Okay. And all you just taste is it. I got the, one. I got one sweetener. It's trash. How about now? Okay. This will be a zero drink. Patent pending because I know what Pepsi owns that. Who owns that? Who? The zero thing. Is that Coke? Zero. Well, no. I, I, the zero sugar thing. Everybody can do it? Yeah. They say zero sugar. All right. How about this? Coffee flavored monster zero. Would you try that? I hate monsters. Why? I don't touch those. They taste. Is it the satanic logo? <laughs> Dude, monsters taste like if throw up could come out of my dick hole. You were doing this wrong. It's all about the branding. It's not about the flavor. It's about the flavor, dude. What's, what's that? Me new- and Guy Fieri, dude. What's that new one I really like? I rent in Flavortown. The one with the Swedish fish flavor? Bang. Swedish chef. What? Bang. No, oh, no, it's ghost. not. It's not bad. It's called Ghost. Ghost. Uh, it's I don't know by Ghost. I don't know how they do what they're doing over there. Uh, it's got to uh, be illegal. It's scary because yeah. I had the orange cream sickle, dude. Right? Yeah, it's like five calories. Five calories where? Because I'm having an orange cream sickle right yeah. now, friend. It's um, it's the fucking Lord. uh Seinfeld thing all over again. Fat free yogurt. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, and you're like, oh, this is great. And then you, your arms amputated the next week, man. Um, Randy, if you haven't heard of it, it's Ghost. I bought it as a joke one day when we were going to help Jasadi move. Again, just if you're keeping track, this was the day before Oksana was induced. Um, and I got some Ghost <laughs> drinks and I went, holy shit, this is crack. Did you try the Sour Patch Kids one? No. There's two. There's Red Berry and Blue Raspberry. I tried the uh, uh, Warhead flavor. It's fantastic. The Swedish Fish, which I'm not a fan of. Yeah. I love a gummy. Not a, not a fan of that, but I love the drink. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. I I'm I criticize how we talk about stupid food things while doing great film work. And then I, I'm yeah, I'm a victim of my own bullshit. So it's a good thing that I have a segment that everybody loves brought back for the first time this year. This is the of course the one where we send out our found footage adventurer, Thomas Burke, to pry new films out of the cold, dead hands of corpses out there. Um, I don't think he left the country for this one, but he did go back in time 
as a we'll be looking at a movie that is digging into the conspiracy of uh the the Dan Brown bullshit that came out. What what year was that book? Uh Da Vinci Code. Da Vinci Code, thank you. I remember Da Vinci Code was number two in his series, right? I don't know. I don't know. I because as a 2003. 2003. Perfect. Yeah. As, da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons, and like Inferno or some shit. Yeah. So, okay. Let's start this uh, in world camera. Uh, what would what I call it? Report? No. I need, give me another word. Dossier. Um, That's also incorrect. I don't care. Yeah. That does conjure up like the image of files, though. Yeah. The dossier. Like you have a bunch of uh, paper in front of me. I like that. I'll get a paper drop next time so it sounds like I'm shuffling paper. I like you looking around the room. No, I got rid of all the garbage. Anyway, here we go. The TBR report. What? (laughs) By the way, before I read this, (laughs) preposterously long email. So prepare thyselves, boys and girls. It sounds like y'all enjoyed the last recommendation of Occult Angel, so I wanted to keep the conspiracy theory theme going with another recommendation called Bloodline from 2008, not referring to the semi-decent Sean William Scott Bloodline from 2018, which isn't even found footage, but still a decent piece. (laughs) And because you also said that Occult Angel reminded you of Monty Python, I thought it was rather synchronistic to find out that Bloodline coincidentally refers the film how about that what if the greatest story ever told was a lie that's the log line and i gotta give a shout out to isaac rodriguez for recommending it to me early last year bloodline is one of my, is one man's journey into the world of so-called of the so-called bloodline conspiracy at the heart of dan brown's the da vinci code where a secret society the priory of scion claims to have guarded evidence of the marriage of Mary Magdalene and Jesus Christ, their children and their descendants through the history, through the centuries. In 2008, it was released in cinemas as a documentary. In the film, director Bruce Burgess interviews several people with alleged connections to the Jesus bloodlines hypothesis. Uh, By 2012, uh, ben Hammett confessed and apologized on a podcast interview that everything to do with the tomb and related artifacts was a hoax, revealing that the actual tomb was now destroyed, being part of a full-size set location in a warehouse in England. If you'd like to see the movie, Bloodhouse is Bloodline is currently available on the Um Mysterio YouTube channel. Uh, that was a tight movie. All I got to say, let me know what you think. All the best, Thomas Burke. Two attachments scanned by Gmail. Clark, I hope you're reading this. Confirmed. P.S. Sorry for keeping the email a bit long on verbiage last week. Clark, I'll try to best not to do it this week. Well, mission failed. <laughs> Although after rereading the email, now I'm beginning to suspect that I may have inadvertently done the opposite of what I was intending to do, which was to keep the verbiage down. Ding, ding. However, I failed. Pardon due to the situation I have in front of me, which is a warm plate of Raising Cane's chicken tenders. <laughs> it would be unpleasant to have to have to edit this one down again, so I'm going to tend to the fries before they get cold and soggy. 
Chicken nuggets are fine when they're cold, but I substituted the coleslaw and toast for extra, extra fries. Know what I mean? But I promise you know that come next week's recommendation, I bet I can condense this puppy down to only three sentences. Don't think I won't do it? Ask me. JK, JK. But seriously, if you want to test me, just say the word and I'll dribble this one down to three sentences. Watch me. But that's not to diminish the integrity of the movie I recommend per se. I'll more so adhere to my fiduciary duties by displaying it in a way that uses compelling adjectives and slide generations to describe the overall rationale versus what I'm doing here now, which is deeply extracting the thoughts from inside my file cabinet brain. But that's all for this week. Tommy B, two attachments, scanned by Gmail, brought to you by the POV Horror. That's how he spelled it. PSS, it's not that soggy fries are bad. They just have to be warm and soggy, not cold and soggy, or else that combo ruins the fries. Keeping it real, regards. Thomas Burke. That was a fantastic email. <laughs> it was ridiculous. He's, he's, a, he's, he's Tommy B's playing games. Though. He's getting it. Also, he was victim of talking about food too. He's burying the lead. What do you want to do? Everybody's got to do it, dude. I know, dude. Us, us fatties were happy, dude. Shit Keep all the ma- food. You know, everything also, makes turn. I'm going to give you a B minus this week. You did a great job. You're always doing great. But uh, generations was generalizations. I know. Hey, I co-read this shit, and I do it with sunglasses on. All right. Well, I'm just saying. On a smoke screen. Hot and soggy reads are fine. Cold and soggy reads? Hot and soggy, hot and soggy. So, again, if you're still paying attention, if you don't give a shit about Dan Brown, let me. I'm going to try and generalize things to make it a little interesting. Um, You know how conspiracies are pretty popular now, and everybody loves to hate Alex Jones? Well, way back in the day, before it was cool, I was uh, new to Alex Jones and hearing about conspiracies. He's not the only one. I, uh, there was one on YouTube that I used to love that is now gone. I've tried so hard to find it, where this uh, skinny Urkel looking dude used to talk about how Michael Jackson was trying to make all of America gay. And in the song Beat It, he was really talking about masturbating. I've tried to find this clip forever. Anyway, conspiracies can be fun. The thing is, some of them feel kind of real. Remember, conspiracy is an FBI term made to uh, disregard information, and it works really well. Dan Brown made waves in the conspiracy community in 2003 with his, uh, I believe it was a trilogy of books that all kind of take a look at the Bible. And they talk about a secret society and all these puzzles left in all the art around the Bible. And uh, like Tom mentioned, The main idea was that Jesus married Mary, which is important because if they had offspring and he was human, it means that he wasn't resurrected. Jesus didn't fuck, dude. Yeah, it kind of changes. It it, it changes a lot. And, you know, um, there are people out there who, if you even change a little bit in the Bible, they go to war. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite drinks is named after a long war between the Protestants and the Catholics, which is called the Irish car bomb. I had a good time telling Pharrell that uh, the Irish car bomb is named after an actual violent act that happened normal. uh, It was normalized in Ireland. Um, Shout out to the Irish car bomb and the Edinburgh castle that would kick us out after every time we ordered one. Anyway, this movie is two hours of deep Bible ARG. So 
if you're looking for a faux doc, if you're really, if you're a Bible head out there, you really love the Bible. Oh, we love our and, Bible and heads. You, you, love to, you love to nerd out about religion. And you really want to dig into it. Hey, this movie is there for you. And it's available on YouTube. Um, I will say that any of the subtitles that are not. So Tom sent us a link that. Uh, oh, God, what is it? It's like a Spanish or it's Italian or something. Um, all English subs. But whenever they speak in French or something, you can't. It's gone. Ooh. So you're going to lose a little bit. Here's the thing. This is an incredibly dense, deeply in the weeds, FODOC. But I think it is valuable in the in-world camera history because they did one of the no-nos. And um, I was up way too late last night with one of the East Bay cinematographers, uh, Jasadi Perkins. And I was talking to him about like this fine line of found footage horror and how you want to make your movie believable, but also contain some uh, fantastical elements. And if you go too far in either direction, people are going to fucking hate your movie. If you make a film that's just clearly not real, like Chronicle, you get a lot of hate. If you make your movie that's too believable, people get literally mad at you. Um, Forgotten Silver is a film that we covered in TBR before where Peter Jackson had fun and he was like, oh, I'm going to make up a history for New Zealand and it'll be a fun little gaffe. And he got death threats. People were like, why would you do this? You've disgraced our country. And um, you just, you can't do it. And uh, our buddy, our buddy who made this film, uh, he did it. He did it hard. This movie was covered by fucking Rotten Tomatoes. I believe 11 critics went on there and they rated it. And everybody just took it at face value. And you hear that and you're like, that's kind of fun. When you watch the movie, it's so legitimate looking. There's a, um, uh, a callback to one of our favorite found footage films, uh, Butterfly Kisses. One of the best things about that movie was that there's internal conversation about hoaxes, about what's real, what's not. And just when the movie's having that conversation, it kind of allows the audience uh, freedom from it. And this movie does it a lot. So we have a Peter Jackson looking guy who is uh, the in front of the camera documentarian. And he's going all over the place. It's, it's really got a vibe of uh, corroborators. If you've been following the TBR report, which is another very, very researched, dense faux doc about a conspiracy. And um, this is also, it's got a, some of the feel of a cult angel, but just none of the levity. And I think the combination of Peter Jackson, the talks about hoaxes, and then all of the fucking, there's a lot of interesting footage here. They claim to find the mummified corpse of Mary Magdalene. And you're like, how are they going to pull that off? Well, just to give you an example, they go into a cave and we get that directional lighting. It, it's got very um, intense horror vibes here. But then it turns into a kind of like boring part of Jurassic Park where it turns into an, an archaeological site and they start dusting off things. They actually put a camera below ground and uh, they find a tomb. And while they're doing it, they're like, could this be hoaxed? Like the whole time they're, they're kind of taking all the pressure off of us and they're asking the questions. And by the long, the very long feeling two hours, it feels fucking legit. I, um, I don't read the inter the emails from Tom before doing this. And I'm kind of shocked to hear that our boy went on a podcast, uh, Ben Hammett and confessed and just kind of owned it up. I'd honestly, I'd kind of like to make a note if we could reach out to that guy. 
Because I, I would love to hear the death threats. Because, you know, Peter Jackson did this with New Zealand, which in America you probably never even heard of. This guy did it with the fucking Bible. I can only imagine the fucking weird zealots out there who are like, you do not do this. Yeah. I mean, in this movie, they have people from the Vatican supposedly giving interviews. I'm sure right now, I bet he's, uh, I bet he's cursed from it. Dude. He got cursed. Now, he's definitely gotten cursed. There's a moment in this film that really stood out to me. It's probably the, the weakest moment as far as uh, claiming to be true. He goes on a website that he finds from the Knights Templar, right? So there's supposed to be like Knights Templar stuff that somebody found, but it looks like a Geo City, poorly constructed. Like it looks like in the innkeepers when they're looking at that paranormal site and it's just like early internet. And there are just these photos of like boxes in the ground and like shit in it, which all look pretty good. But the site looks so bad that it feels authentic. And the dude's just like, I don't know. This looks kind of fishy to me. And I'm just, it's incredible. Um, unfortunately, if you don't care about Dan Brown, if you don't care about the Bible, and you're not like a huge conspiracy faux doc person, which I've never met one, if I'm being honest, there's, it's really not something you're going to watch unless you're a found footage adventurer like Thomas Burke. And again, Thomas, dude, I thank you for digging these up. Because if there's ever a like collection of important movies, this would definitely have to go in the category of don't fly too close to the sun, man. You don't want to trick people like that because I'm sure this guy's like gone. Um, you know, our buddy Anon Anon from murder, death, Koreatown. And he's just probably uh-huh. off the web now because once Reddit gets a hold, of he's you, waiting for web three. Yeah, exactly. He, he's, he's many layers deep into the uh, onion, right? That's, is that the Tor browser thing? Glass onion. Oh, the, I'm not going to watch that movie, by the way. You don't need to. Um, so, Tom, thank you, man. And again, this is two hours long, and it's very dense. So unless you're like a completionist, I can't really recommend watching it. Um, or like, again, like unless you're really into the, to the lore of the Bible. You still appreciate history, dude. Again, you know, I should mention, though, that what Dan Brown did and what this movie's doubling down on is essentially turning the Bible into an ARG. There is a lot of interesting puzzle shit going on. So there's a painting. Again, I'm not going to spend much more time on this, but they go to a church, which if that's in a soundstage, incredible. And there's a painting and they're like, you know, when we look at this painting and interpret what's happening, there are um, men carrying the corpse of Jesus. But if you look up in the top left corner, there's a moon. And they're like, by Jewish law, you cannot touch a dead body at night. So either this is fictional, like it's a fraud, and they're like, there's no way that that's the case. They're like, so what they're actually saying is that Jesus wasn't dead, that he was never resurrected. And it's like, that kind of shit is a lot of fun. If you like um, just um, like modern, postmodern interpretation of art, it's, it's a deep ARG, but man, you got to know your, your Bible. And it's, sadly, it's just not one of the books I, I've read yet. And um, sadly, if you've been following along, I missed my goal last year of 50 books. I think I came in at 32. I um, I completely blame it on having a kid. But uh, that's going to end it on for Bloodline 2008. This concludes the discard. Yeah, it was a bum, dude. 
I really thought I was going to hit that 50 mark on the books. So what'd you hit? 32. That's still a lot. That's yeah, not, not enough. And the last one I read, Uzumaki, fantastic book. I know I talked about it on here just, already. I just, as a small reminder, I'm always right. So Yeah, right. You're, we're talking politics. You know me. <laughs> hey, that was everyone's uh, <laughs> Q year. You have a nice Q a year? Happy Q year, dude. How was your uh, Jan 6? Did you celebrate that? Uh, yeah, you know, uh, I baked a cake. Uh, FaceTime Randy. I was we, wondering uh, why we had the candles together. I was wondering why we had Riot Gear coming in from Amazon Prime. <laughs> you know. Also, I like ending the TBR report by blaming my kid with something. So I'm going to try and continue that. At first, he didn't even want to partake in yeah, it. <laughs> All right. All right. Randy, Michael, how was your week this week, son? Did you have any torrential rains out there in Atlanta like we did? Not really. We did, what was it, Thursday night? Uh, we did have a tornado watch for a couple hours. Oh. But then it just turned into a, uh, not a terrible storm, but we had a lot of heavy rains and thunder and lightning. But uh, yeah, I was glad that there was no actual tornado touchdown because uh, I've never experienced one yet. Did I tell you that I actually recently purchased a tornado watch? Oh my God. <laughs> Randy, hold Thank on. Thank you so I, much. I got a real question. The, sure. The, you know, the people out there on the street, because I talk to regular people, the real conversation, it's not left, right? It's not all this bullshit about religion. It's about what is scarier, earthquakes or tornadoes? Now, you jumped out of the pot into the fire. This is not even a conversation. You, you left California and now you're in tornado country? Are you? Is that a bad decision or which one scares you more? I think people say that tornadoes are less scary to them because you know that they're coming or you have at least a little bit of a warning. Whereas earthquakes, they kind of just happen and there's not really a, uh, a heads up of any sort. Which makes tornadoes scarier based upon that exact definition. Yeah, dude. Nobody's scared when women come. We never know when that happens. Exactly. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been in the same room where a woman came. I guess you can technically maybe be more prepared or um, leave the area if you need to. Yeah, that's bullshit. I like to live life like it's about to end every minute in constant fear and doing dumb things that you think you won't have to own up to. Tornadoes are way scarier. It's not any close. Mm, I don't know. No, because it's the anticipation. I get it. Yeah, dude. Yeah, just, just open up the earth and swallow. Tor tornadoes are horrifying. <laughs> I hate tornadoes. Uh, not a Wizard of Oz fan. <laughs> I have a quick... Uh, I have a quick, another food-related question that goes back to Thomas oh. Burke's email. Here we uh -huh. go. Is it just me, or do other people, when they go get uh, drive through fast food, you eat it in your own car shamefully and never bring it inside your house? Of course. I 100% of the time don't do that. You you wait? No, because my my house is my castle, and I need to be behind the walls. If I'm outside, anything could happen. Your house is not your castle. <laughs> it's a castle I'm renting, so it's fine. Maybe I'm more like a noble. And it's I'm a castle like where you invite every vagrant off the street to come in. It's a fucking party castle. Okay? <laughs> it's a party castle. That's for sure. Uh, wait, what was the question again? <laughs> do you eat in the car? You said, yeah. There's no question. You, Of course. No, it's sad. It's lonely. I don't do it. Fast 
food has a shelf life of 32 seconds. Not true. You <laughs> have to attack very quickly. It's actually the complete opposite. I've heard a Whopper will last that doesn't 10 mean, no, no, years. No, no. <laughs> no of course. I, dude, when I was... Actually, it's a Big Mac. I don't know if... It is a Big Mac. I, when... What that that Morgan Spurlock movie? What's that called? Oh, it's Super Timey. Super, yes. Well, that was you know <laughs> our our Lord and Savior Doug Benson's <laughs> spoof. Uh, but yeah, Super Size Me. That came out when I was in high school. So I that fucking day I saw the movie. Went to McDonald's. We put um, nuggets and fries in a mason jar. Oh. We moved out of that house three years later. Mm-hmm. Exact same. Okay. Yeah. Did, uh, and then it? my mom kept it. I still think we had those fries. You can't tell. Oh, it's okay. 15 years old. That's the magic of modern medicine. Yeah. But I mean, honestly, but the McDonald's fries last for about two minutes. Oh, yeah. So, like, yeah, you got to eat in your car, man. No. Nah. Yeah. You make bad decisions. No, I only eat it in and out. Their fries are bad from the minute they're in the car. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so, there you go. Correct, but you you've got to do if you do a little light CPR no, on the no, uh, on the In and Out fries, you're okay. You put chocolate sauce. On Dust them with salt. That. Dust them with salt. Ask them to cook a little bit longer if you want them a little browner, and then you're fine. Bob's your uncle. <laughs> but the fact that they do come, they, they the fries do look a little sickly straight off. The, They're gross. Straight yeah. out of the fryer. I don't even I don't like the dish that. that they're given in. I'm That's fine weird. with everything they do. I, love, I swear, uh, no, because when you flip it over, they got some fucking uh, Da Vinci Code shit on the bottom of them. Di- it's like a Bible verse. Two inch, they're, they're an independent <laughs> business. I know. I'm pretty sure they're covered in the TBR movie I just did, Bloodline from 2008. Not to be confused with the other 10 movies called Bloodline. Also, they took care of your family for many years. They did. My family worked there. Yeah. All right. Uh, Randy Michael. Now, how is yes. your leaf situation now? I know that we are in, in the throes of dead winter, and I know you've been having some some home uh, keeping issues. So, how how is the leaves? They're all gone. They've been gone for a couple of weeks. Now okay. we just have dead dead lawn, dead plants, waiting for the sun to come back. Are you okay? <laughs> What's the temperature out there right now? Uh, it's currently raining. I don't know what the temperature is. All right, we're just waiting for a nice Atlanta spring for Randy. Then uh, we're going to hear a lot of uh, a lot of talk uh, this coming spring about Randy planting flowers and herbs. Randy, you ever think about that? Oh, wait, what about a nice little herb garden for you? I've thought about it. I did repot a plant uh, this week. Speaking of plants. Oh, what kind of plant? It's a snake plant. The hell is that? Uh, I don't know. Google it. They're very easy to keep and uh, very hard to kill. So uh, I've had this one for for a while now, and it's uh, it's thriving. But I put it into a bigger pot to see if it'll get a, you know, a little more leaves on there. I heard about that plant in Bloodline from two thousand eight. It's actually very anti the Bible. Snakes are evil. Right. Snake plants on a plane, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but All speaking right. of bloodlines. Here we go. I saw a movie about a uh, a family, a father and a son, uh, directed by uh, Chris Smith, who did American Movie, Jim and Andy, and a bunch of other documentaries. I saw the documentary, which is uh, on Netflix, called Senior, 
just SR period. Uh, directed, like I said, by Chris Smith, and it uh, is a documentary uh, featuring Robert Downey Jr., essentially interviewing his dad, Robert Downey Sr., who did um, who did uh, the movie Putney Swope uh, back in the day, which is the only movie uh, of his that I've seen, but he did a lot of, like, sort of just really crazy, like, for the time, kind of, like, radical, like, comedies. And, uh, yeah, it's just a movie uh, sort of about just Robert Downey Jr. kind of, uh, like, putting his dad and his dad's films onto people that probably have no idea that his dad was a filmmaker or uh, what he did. Like I said, I've only seen Putney Swope, and uh, there's a lot of stuff in here. They kind of go through uh, his dad's history and kind of, like, all the movies that he did, and uh, there's a lot of a lot of ones that look pretty, pretty good. Um, but, yeah, it, it goes into sort of, like, how Robert Downey Jr., uh, as his son was obviously around like film all the time and kind of like from birth and kind of just like, uh, you know, his dad got into drugs and how that like kind of influenced uh, Robert Downey Jr. to get into drugs. So it gets into some emotional territory. But um, for the most part, I really dug this. Um, another cool thing that they do in the movie, they kind of give uh, Senior uh, part of the film crew to make his own version of the documentary and his own version is much like looser and funnier. And it's just like, he just like tells people to go around and like shoot like random, like nature bits and stuff. And his is much like, much like his movies sound. They're a lot like more jazzy and um, yeah, they give him like a guy that and an editing bay. And so they're kind of showing like seniors version of the movie versus the movie that Robert Downey Jr. is making with uh, Chris Smith. Um, and they show like cuts of his stuff and it's, it's pretty funny. He, he seems like a very, like he was a very funny guy, uh, in general up until, uh, his death, which happens at the end of the movie. Like how how funny or. (laughs) Yeah. He's very like irreverent and just like, he just makes very, just like, uh, he, he's living in New York. I guess he's lived in New York most of his life, except for a, uh, stint in Los Angeles, which he hated apparently, uh, bad experience with the studios. And, um, yeah, he lived in New York and he's just uh they're just like driving around New York and he just makes like funny observations about like people that he's seeing and uh yeah, it's really good. It does get a little uh sentimental towards the end. Um a little uh tear jerky, but for the most part um it's shot in black and white and it looks good and I was uh pleasantly surprised and it's I think it's just 90 minutes. Um yeah, it's good. So did you tear jerk it? No, it did get a little dusty though. Randy's first band was the Tear Jerks. Oh, the Tear Jerks. <laughs> oh, yeah. They performed in a circle. <laughs> Good band, the Circle Jerks. Like Keith idiot. Morris. Randy, shut up. Now, I thought, honestly, I thought Robert Downey Sr. was dead. <laughs> he is dead. I just said that he, they go into his death at the end of the movie. Oh. <laughs> Wait, but I thought they were talking to him. Yeah, he's a they were, but they shot it like three years. They started it like three years ago. He died in like twenty twenty one. I think. Oh, yeah, we didn't just you, lost. Him. Didn't you hear Randy? They gave him a camera crew and they said, "Okay, go die." And then he's like, "Okay, film this bush," and then I'm gonna fall. That's like uh, did, Dick Johnson. Did, yeah, he did finish his own cut before the uh, before his death. He circumcised himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hate how Robert Downey Jr. 
blames his drug addiction on his dad, Randy. I can't believe you support this. He doesn't really blame it on him, but I think even his dad and sort of other people that they talk to in the movie kind of talk about how that was probably a big influence. And um, you know, it gets into, you know, territory where he's kind of like thinking and like talking to his father, like while he, so I think he had Parkinson's. Um, so towards the end, he was like shaking a lot and pretty much like bedridden. So he was kind of like, you know, just asking him things and sort of like reflecting. So there's some reflection on it, but I don't think he really like blames his dad for it necessarily. Did they ask his father how he felt when his son portrayed an African-American in film (laughs) and put on blackface and everyone was pretty much cool with it? (laughs) They didn't know, but um, I don't know. He'd probably be down. (laughs) He's old enough. I need you to go. He's job. probably he's probably been to a minstrel show, so oh, dude, up in the fucking Catskills, of course. <laughs> it's kind of a bummer to hear he was suffering from the internal earthquake. That is a uh, killer of actors. I've heard. Yeah, internal earthquake. Yeah, Parkinson's. <sighs> I thought I, I I go straight to BMs. <laughs> I thought you were talking about the stand-up comedian. Oh, hell yeah. Who's that? Earthquake. One of the greatest stand-ups of all time. I shrunk him down and put him in Robert Downey no. Sr. <laughs> Earthquake. Earthquake's got a great punchline. He was talking about um, he goes, John Kerry. John Kerry, you oh, know, who ran okay. for president? Yeah. Whose uh, wife is Teresa Hines of the Hines Ketchup Corporation. Mm-hmm. And he was just talking about, man, if I was John Kerry, I wouldn't run for president. Every time a motherfucker order fries, ka-ching, ka-ching. <laughs> Very good. Is it true? My bitch own ketchup. <laughs> That's what he said. That was it. My bitch own ketchup. That's not a, a better line has never been. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Randy, uh, Putney Slope Part Two, Father Son, how many stars? Three and a half. I gave it four. Oh, oh, oh it crossed oh. that threshold. It was pretty good. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, guess I'm just chilling for Netflix a lot lately because my next thing is also on Netflix. Oh. Slow your roll here, dude. Also, if you're going to talk about a TV show on here, then you did you didn't you didn't do the paperwork. You got to sign a waiver. Sign a waiver and tell us that you're going to talk about I'm it. Talk about TV all the time. The waiver <laughs> is putting it on the dock early, which I did. <laughs> I watched the uh the new Nicholas Winding Refn show, uh, Copenhagen Cowboy, which is uh Six parts on Netflix. I think each is a little underneath uh, an hour. Like six parts. It's his first uh, Danish language movie um, since, or movie or TV show since um, the end of the Pusher trilogy in 2005. Ray, did you watch any of the Pushers? I did a long time ago. They're all on movie now, though, so I may need to rewatch. I didn't watch any of those. They're good. All right. I should have, did you watch a pusher? No, I never did. On movie. I know. I I had it muted. There Thank you go. so much. Timing impeccable. <laughs> <laughs> I found it funny. So yeah, Co- Copenhagen Cowboy. He's back to uh, his Danish, uh, you know, his Danish roots, and uh, back to doing a. <laughs> a crime world thing. It is a, a neon noir. Um, cinematography looks awesome. Like every frame of the TV show just like looks beautiful. A lot of like cool camera work. 
Um, the protagonist, I guess you would say, is, you know, kind of similar to most of the people in his movies. Uh, it is a female this time. Her name is Mew. And oh. she is very brooding, very silent. Um, but she also um, is a fighter. There's a lot of like really good fight choreography and she's a, a very dangerous person and it kind of gets into um, kind of where that comes from and sort of like what she's trying to do um, slowly like you would expect from a Nicholas Winding Refn movie or TV show. It didn't feel as slow as a too old to die young though i never finished that so i may need to do that one day but i don't know that's like 10 parts um and this is only six um but yeah i i really dug this um like i said it feels very similar to drive or a lot of like his other sort of um work and i really like the just like the noir elements and the you know crime stuff um our guy from triangle of sadness the russian oligarch on the boat in triangle of sadness uh, shows up in several episodes of the show. Yeah. He's great. The main uh, actress. So yeah. He's very, he's very good in this. Um, she, she's really good. And he's also working with uh, Cliff Martinez. Like he always does for the most part. Um, and the music in this is great. There is a ton of it. Um, I wouldn't say that it like feels like a music video, but there's a ton of music in the show, which I think helps the show to, sort of like uh have a little more momentum um but yeah check out the soundtrack if anything uh it's on spotify and um it's on his own uh website by nwr.com very good uh, i've been listening to it a lot today um there's some weirder stuff that happens in the show that is kind of hinted uh throughout each episode so each episode kind of like unspools uh some sort of things that are happening and there is some supernatural stuff i will say that has worked into this um that i thought was really cool i don't know if he'll get a second season of this or if he's gonna plan to do another like series in this world or something but if he does sign me up four stars (laughs) man almighty all right here's the thing you know look we're both colorblind brethrens so, uh, you know, I, I, I always have an appreciation for Refn and his palate, but this style over substance thing, sometimes it can wear me thin. And that Amazon show was the most self-aggrandizing fucking masturbatory exercise I have ever seen in my life. So the fact already, you know, A... It was like 10 episodes. I think some of those were like two hours. Mm-hmm. Like that yeah. was an incredibly long series. So the fact that it's six and I, I took a sneak peek. I watched like the first 15 minutes. by the way, And the episodes are right around an hour. So already yeah. he's cut essentially in half the runtime. That's a that's a good sign for me. Mm-hmm. Also, I think going back to his native language also is helpful, too. Um, because otherwise it just it was like he was afraid of dialogue and his actors were afraid of dialogue and that's why it took about three minutes between every line that they fucking said 
and I don't know, that show can go suck itself in hell. Uh, but I'm, you know, I, okay, I'll play around with your little Copenhagen. I liked uh, oh, yeah. Too Old to Die Young. I thought it was good. Not for me. And that one episode I hated even grew on me after uh, Robbie Smith scolded me. I was like, you know what? You're right. Which one did you hate? Uh, it was long. It was long and not a lot happened. No, I mean, no, that's... <laughs> yeah, but, you know, the, the thing is, I feel that the emotional palette he's painting with really uh, benefits from that. Also, if you're going to do something, do it your way. Like, I don't need another fucking homogenized piece of shit on For Netflix sure. or I, something. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Also, uh, Neon Demon was fantastic. I agree. Yeah, Me so... I'd like to see him return to horror again. Yeah. But uh, Randy, I got my interest with that supernatural tease. And name a yeah. character after a Pokemon, I'm in. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I don't even know enough know about Pokemon to give you a little tag. <laughs> I was just going to say go. <laughs> For God. All right, Randy, uh, did you catch them all? I caught them all. And while we're on the topic of Pokemon and this show, um, there's apparently uh, animal abuse allegations. Apparently, uh, a, a pig was killed during the making of the show. So oh, you don't see it in the show, but um, <laughs> yeah, during this podcast, I just slaughtered a pig. Neela. <laughs> oh, wow. What a weird callback to make. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Honestly, they probably did it in honor of my birthday brethren, uh, Rogerio Diodato, who passed away. <laughs> I don't think we mentioned it on the show. We've been mourning him. Uh, you killed him. You mentioned him every week on the show. <laughs> the morning did end on January 6th as Clark threw a party, but uh, we miss you, Regario. I hope he's killing animals in heaven. <laughs> should play the um, the Hulk Hogan song. <laughs> <laughs> on a Hulkster in heaven Hulkster or whatever. Heaven. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, you the, we don't agree on a lot, but music, you're the only one who will listen to that weird shit with me. It's great. I'm so happy. It's yeah. great. I got to dig up. I have that on CD somewhere. It's it's better than the Macho Man rap. Oh, it's because Macho Man made it out of anger. Yeah, he yeah, didn't. It's just, well, A, the production's yeah. shit. Well, Hogan made that album out of corporate greed. Well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but there's also, the, there's, there's joy in that album. Oh, yeah. The Macho Man feels weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's also... Which is why, yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, like, I love Macho Man, but part of his thing is, like, you, he's kind of got, like, a a cocaine charge, mm -hmm. like, a, a cocaine charm out yeah. of him. Like, kids liked Macho Man, but, like, looking back at Macho Man as an older gentleman who knows about substances and how people can act on those substances... He was he was jacked to the gills. Yeah, that's when pro and wrestling was fantastic. I know it, yeah. but I'm just saying it's terrifying now. Yeah, as a kid, I was like, I don't know, this guy was jacked to his fucking eyeballs. But uh, we wish all the professional wrestlers uh, well in their chosen life. Okay, Randy, anything else? Uh, no, that's it. I was just going to ask uh, what your thoughts are on rapping Rodney. Was, was Rapid Rodney King? <laughs> no, your uh, your favorite comedian, not really your favorite Dangerfield. Oh, rap of of course, yes. Rap, I'm pro rapping Rodney. Hell yeah! Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. 
What was I going to talk about? <laughs> um, I believe you have a Randy retread up top. Yeah. All right. Hit it. Uh, Randy retread. I watched White Noise <laughs> on Netflix. Uh, Randy, the here's what I understand <laughs> of what people were saying about White Noise. And of course, now again, Randy, you know that I'm hip. You know that I know what the cool kids are reading. And you know that I know about Don DeLillo and the White Noise. Okay. How I, I haven't read it, but you, I know what's going on. Okay. And it that novel has always gone around, you know, in circles saying that it's unfilmable. So what did you think? I, just uh, just to tease this a little bit more, because you talked about it a little bit uh, two weeks ago. But how did you feel that Baumbach did with his adaptation of a, quote, unfilmable idea? Uh, I thought he did decent. Um, specifically, the second um, chapter segment, whatever, in the movie I dug quite a bit. It's very over the top, but I think in general, the like sort of cynicism or darkness of the novel doesn't a hundred percent like translate to Bombac just because he's, I don't know. He has a, you know, I think he has probably similar ideas and stuff, but I don't think the way that they come off in the movie are as, which may be a good thing. I don't think they're as um, like hope, hopeless maybe or not as yeah. dark. Also, why is there a theme in most Noah Baumbach movies where the children are brilliant? Why is that a, a thing? Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. I just, I feel that that's a common thing because that's a, that's a big, yeah. one of the most entertaining uh, thorough lines that we had in this. I had a great time with White Noise. It, it really surprised me. Um, it's a strange film, man. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it takes chances. It's not perfect. It's a little weird. And Bombach. It's it's not like any of his uh, other work, but part of this kind of feels a little um, PTA inherent vicey kind of. Yeah. I felt a little bit uh, the humor was hit and miss with me. Um, it gets what I call you know um, you know very. Uptight NPR type of humor here sure. a little bit, and um, but I thought that the acting and everything was perfect. Uh, the opening of the film I loved uh, with uh, my guy, what's his name? Uh, the the man that uh, is better than Showtime, but he is on every goddamn Showtime show. Uh, I get what is what is his name, Randy? You're talking a uh, Cheadle? Yes, of course, Don Cheadle. Why well, can't I think of Don Cheadle? And uh, Adam Driver, Greta Gerwig, everybody's great. This is a strange movie. I don't know. Yeah. I, I I don't know why Netflix bought this. Netflix does this. I can't understand why Netflix does it. They 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 buy strange properties, um, you know, like this and uh, the Ion and the Ian Reed novel. Yeah. Uh, that uh, Charlie Kaufman did. So it's like they do stuff like this. I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I can't. 
I'm over Netflix, but go watch uh, White Noise. I had a good time with it. I think, right. to me, that is a feature of Netflix, not a bug. I like the fact that they do stuff like White Noise. So White Noise came out, Blonde came out, and Bardo came out, and those were all Netflix productions in the yeah. same year. And though I don't necessarily love either one of those movies, I appreciate them for what they are, and I think they're like pretty unique. As do I. I've my issue here is not the product, and I'm not saying that Netflix doesn't understand, you know, you know, good things. What I yeah. am saying is that the majority of Netflix's programming is bullshit, and I would like sure. to completely remove myself from everything <laughs> that Netflix does. But when they have one or two shows. I got to come back in here, and that's the whole rigmarole. That's what I'm saying. I'm tired yeah. of dance. Yeah, but that is how you make money. I understand. Yeah. But what I'm saying is fuck that. <laughs> You're saying stop making money and do what I need. Correct. Okay. I get and it. I'll figure out a way. Let me know how that works. Not well. <laughs> Movie number two is. Here's, here's the thing, boys and girls. I, this year... I am trying to keep up like now, Russell, do you have, um, do you have a new book, uh, goal for this year? I don't know. I was thinking about trying to hit 50 again, but honestly, it's only been more complicated to read lately. Yeah. So I might down it to like 30 because I, I know I could hit that on a, I don't know. There you go. I haven't, I haven't looked at my Goodreads. Well, what I've decided to do this year is to, is to keep a proper film re repository. Of everything that I've seen, that way I've got it right there and I don't have to forget anything that I've seen. So that's why I have my Letterboxed 2023 Film Repository. Uh, one movie I, I would knock out here very quickly. Uh, Scare Package 2, Rad Chad's Revenge. I am a big fan of Scare Package 1. I thought Scare Package 1 was very, very good. It was really funny. It was smart. Um, it, it looked competent. I, I honestly, I have, I have, uh, no notes, no notes on scare package one. Great. Scare package two. I have some notes. <laughs> uh, note number one. Probably should have just left off with scare package one. Uh, there's not a whole lot to, to like here for me. Um, this seemed really rushed together. The jokes are not great. They spend all of the time on the interstitials. Uh, yes, this is still um, an anthology, but it's all done in the... Um, basically, we have a bunch of people. They go to a funeral. That funeral is for a horror host named Rad Chad, who was introduced to us in Scare Package 1. Uh, then we realized that everyone in the funeral uh, was there for a reason because Rad Chad wanted to play a game with them. And uh, so it's Saw style throughout the rest of the movie. Oh, okay. And they go from room to room and they get knocked out by gas. And then there are some uh, very pathetic games that they play. And uh, they Rad Chad says that they didn't appreciate horror. So he shows a horror movie in each one of the rooms. And so each one of our segments is a horror movie that he is showing to them. 
And uh, it, I, I like that. I like yes, the premise. That's really yes. cool. And I'll tell you, the movies are great, but oh, no. they are very short. We're stuck in this interstitial bullshit. That's not. That's not fun. Oh, yeah. You know, um, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just not great. And you can tell that, but uh, there was budget concerns, and uh, the effects and stuff were just uh, not a big point of pride in the production. Man, I really like that premise for a wraparound, though. It's a good premise. Execution, not not too fun. Yeah, I um, the only other person I had heard talk about this was Terrell, and he had no kind things to say about it either. Um, if you want to hear his thing, go on YouTube. <laughs> but yeah, it's a bummer. Damn, it's a bummer. You know, it's there's a new trend where they just try to churn the shit out while people care, and I don't know if it's working out very well. well. I think it was uh, started by Turner Clay, honestly, and the Blackwell Ghost. Tubi's got the world record though. Because, again, on Blu-ray Tuesday with Terrell, he talks about it pretty in depth. But the remake of Terror Train that I I did talk about on here, they made a Terror Train 2 two months after the original came out. And you liked it better. And it was better. (laughs) And I forgot I watched it. You know, the damn lookies. This is the problem with the lookies. I watched Terror Train 2 and I watched Sissy. And I was all ready to go with them. And then I was like, oh, no, we have to talk about, like, prestigious films and send out these stupid fucking awards. What are you talking about prestigious films? <laughs> I have to do that. I had to get a She fucking, talks about Wolf Cop every other week. I got a goddamn suit for the lookies. It's a very, it's something you and Randy care a lot about. And I love you guys. It's so. a Doug Stanhope suit. Doesn't even care. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And the last movie that I would talk about is a film that I watched yesterday. Uh, directed by no stranger to hey. this show. Oh. Uh, this is a gentleman, I think, I, this is one of the few people, I think I've seen every single one of his feature films. Uh, he had a movie out called Last Year, it was a horror film, called Antlers. Man, it's Scott Cooper. His new movie is called The Pale Blue Eye. Russell, you, uh, you got to hear about this? No, I haven't. Randy, you, uh, you hear about this? Yeah, I must watch it today. Randy, very excited about the new Scott Cooper. Here's the thing. We got Christian Bale playing a detective. Now, Christian Bale, he's the headliner because it's Christian Bale. You understand? Um, And the movie's about Christian Bale, but the movie is not about Christian Bale, kind of. I'm looking at the cast right now. It's definitely not. <laughs> because uh, Scott Cooper made a movie about Edgar Allan Poe. And he plays second fiddle in this movie, cast by Harry Melling. Uh, this is a British guy. You've seen him in a lot of stuff. He's he's uh, he's from the Harry Potter world. Uh, I know him from his more recent stuff because I'm not a fucking little child nerd uh, who gives a shit about Harry Potter. So I know about him from other things. And he was I, in Please Baby Please, which I talked about like a month ago. Yes, he was also in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs and the Tragedy of Macbeth. Also in that horrible piece of shit, The Lost City of Z. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Harry Melling, super talented cat and does a pretty good uh, Edgar Allan Poe here. It's the highlight of the film. The rest is pretty meh. 
the story it it does it it oh boy they go for the big they go for the gusto at the end they they want they pull that rug they want to pull that rug on you babe and uh but I'll tell you, you know, it's an interesting Edgar Allan Edgar Allan Poe story because it's all fictionalized, but they kind of use it as like uh, motivation or or whatnot for his uh, the impetus for 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 creating the creative genius that is Edgar Allan Poe. I guess is kind of what they're 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 hinting at here, um, and it's this is fine that is my review it's fine i di- i i didn't have a major problem with this movie it's just uh honestly i didn't ha- i didn't expect us anything and uh it was like this 2 hour victorian drama oh I, how am i going to watch this and then, you know 15 minutes in i'm like this is okay this is uh this is exactly what you think it is and uh if you if you if this interests you at all about you know this modern ap- adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe uh then see it. it turns into a you know a procedural and then of course they kind of shamalan you uh there at the end so <laughs> that's what that's what you're dealing with and that's 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 what you come to expect with the Netflix okay that's what i'm saying like Randy, I just don't understand their business model. Okay, it's it doesn't you know it's either Stranger Things or you know weird in your redo shit. I don't know what's happening over there. Well, that's when it comes to Edgar Allan Poe, boy, you know there's only one movie that does it right, and that's Betwixt. Twixt. <laughs> right. Who, what highbrow director made that movie? Uh, the there we go. The same highbrow director who has been selling wine uh, for 30 years to fund his own uh, $100 million movie. Oh, and the guy that uh, harbors child molesters. Yeah, but <laughs> he's cool. Yeah, I agree. Um, dude, I'm surprised you didn't mention like Toby Jones was in this movie or Simon McBurney or Timothy Spall. Timothy Spall, man, dude. I like Timothy Spall. It looks like there's a lot of good supporting characters. There, in this it really film. is. It really is. Um, and also, you know, I think that uh, every movie that Timothy Spall has, it, I feel like a plot line of that movie should be uh, hiring some sort of investigator to figure out where the rest of his chin went. Oh <laughs> and the he has pale, melty face. Dude, the pale blue eye premiered in theaters on January 6th. So that's where you went. Weird that you took all the riot gear. I think it it came on uh, Netflix on the six. So I, I, oh, yeah. a bang bang, <laughs> <laughs> plopped right on there. Yeah, you know I don't Edgar Allan Poe. He, <laughs> I don't know why people keep trying to like reimagine his life and like oh what if a real horror happened and that's why he wrote. It's like okay, dude, how many times has that been done? I don't know. And Christian Bale, the fact that I didn't know what that movie was and he was in it is like that's not good. Here's the thing with him. Um, I look. I'm I'm pro Christian Braille. Uh, Christian Braille. I am pro. Well, you know, I am a blind Christian, so I need to have Christian Braille. Blind faith, please. That that's why do you, what do you think they have under the cups of uh, In and Out? Holy shit! It's raised too. It's Christian Braille. How I've never heard that before, but I feel like it's something. It's it's there. And the show. That's our new property. I Christian love Braille. I love Christian. 
pale. <laughs> but he's he's a character guy, right? Yeah. Like he has to embody something. He has to change uh, his body. Like it's in, when they t- when they said that Christian Bale is going to play Dick Cheney. I don't think there was a person on this planet who thought what? Yeah. Who didn't think that? He was incredible, dude. Mm-hmm. They, I mean, like the dude's a chameleon, and like he's great. He has he has gained a lot of weight for roles. He's lost a lot of weight for roles, and I feel like if he isn't doing some insane body shit or doing something that he has to change his entire life to get into that role, then it just comes across as he's him not giving a shit. Yeah, and and there's no major metamorphosis for him to go through in this character. He's just walking around the top hat in the 1890s. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, he's got that new role coming up. He's playing hook in captain hook. He'll be lopping off a hand for the role. Yeah, no, for sure. He would. That's the only way he's interested. Yelling at, you know, ADs. (laughs) (laughs) Give me my hook. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Interesting take. You've completely convinced me not to watch a movie. Even though I did really like Antlers. I feel like I'm one of the only people, though. Antlers is also strange. It's, yeah, it's like a weird Western. Everyone of, everyone has got Cooper's movies. It's like, almost. Yeah. Almost. But that makes him fun to watch. I I think my favorite is maybe that Hostels movie. I kind of uh, I kind of enjoyed the Hostels. Randy, did you see the Hostels? I don't think so, no. I don't think I ever saw Antlers either, but uh, I thought oh. I was kind of a Scott Cooper guy. But I also feel the same way where I've never loved, I didn't love Black Mass or Out of the Furnace, and I think that's all I've seen. Yeah, honestly, those two are the probably the rougher ones. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, again, with Black Mass, you run into that biopic stuff. It's it's true because that was all about um, Whitey Ford. Yeah, Whitey 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 Bulger, Whitey okay. Bulger. Oh, Whitey Ford, my favorite rapper. Yeah, who's Whitey Ford? The rapper and. Some people will kill the mother. Okay, right? Isn't that him? Whitey Bulger is is who we're talking about. So, yeah, you're running. Yeah, it's just, it's every single one. It's almost there. Hostels is pretty good. It's got the uh, Chalamet is in that one. Um, But yeah, no, Coop, keep doing it. Keep, uh, keep on me. Randy, <laughs> watch Antlers. Antlers is, uh, I like, I like what he, he took chances with Antlers, right? <laughs> You know, I think it's um, we don't get a whole lot of why. Why don't we get more Wendigo? It's a cool creature. It is. He's a little complicated to understand. Is that it? Is that why people I think you just want need to go to straight? It out. They go straight to the zombie because we understand the zombie, or straight to the Bigfoot. Uh, is is Bigfoot always going to be king of the cryptids? Oh man, there's a, you're asking a lot of questions. I know. Here. <laughs> Very excited. Bigfoot will always be king of the cryptids. Yeah. Just like Godzilla will always be king of the kaiju. And uh, your other questions, I think it's complicated because Wendigo is folk horror. So there's a little bit of a, there's a little tiptoey dance you got to do in modern cinema around that. And then on top of it, zombies, we all kind of know the rules because of culture and video games. Where the Wendigo, it's kind of hard to set up a movie where you have to have cannibalism involved. Uh, unless you do it metaphorically, which I think he did in Antlers pretty well. But it looks cool. But I mean, what does it look like? Wendigo, you make it, it's Antlers based. Make it look like <laughs> Guar and you're good. God, okay. All right, are you done? Because I have a hot take coming in. Oh, boy. Are you ready? Well, we, we got to talk about the big movie. So, we'll, we'll yeah. Oh, okay. Later. So I'll just cut all my movies out. 
I mean, skip to the big movie. Are you, are you if it's TCM Roundup, <laughs> then yeah. <laughs> TCM Roundup Part Two. I got fifty movies in two nights. No, actually, I'm starting off with one of uh, Clark's favorite things. Ready? It's the somebody retread. It's it's always Randy. It's the Randy retread. Like also, whenever you do that voice, I imagine somebody crawling out of a car wreck who's <laughs> suffered severe brain damage, yep. but still has to deliver what he was hired to do. That's exactly how I want to. It paints paint a really goofy picture every time. I'm here to help. Um, I watched Personal Shopper. Personal Shopper. You bet. You bet. It's a big day. <laughs> it is. Uh, from 2016. God. This is a movie that was recommended to me in the Alamo lobby by, uh, I already mentioned him this episode, Mike Keegan, former program director there. You mentioned him once every show. Both of you watched it and talked about it on this show. Um, yep. I love a case too. Oksana hates a case too. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect movie. Uh, to watch. I mean, it's got horror vibes, but it's clearly going to be an indie film. Oksana, why you hate the case, too? I mean... Threatened? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, I don't like her acting. She's <laughs> very... Uh, Eisner, what's his name? Jason... Uh, Jason Eisner? Jason. Uh, the other guy who's very, like, twitchy when he acts. He was in that Facebook movie. Oh. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg. Eisenberg. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. She she uh never feels like she's acting so, but she was good in this, which is what everyone said. Even if you don't like her, you'll like her in this. <laughs> oh oh okay. There was a Shyamalan in your little right. review right there. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm gonna be quick here. Uh, I can't. I'm very late to this game. It's kind of been one of those dangly movies in the background. You're like, seven years late. Uh, like I mentioned <laughs> earlier, Jasadi Perkins, who's been on the show before, came over. And he was like, I want to watch something weird. And it was like, hey, I got Personal Shopper, which is a beautiful Blu-ray release, limited from Korea. Very excited to open that and watch it. And it burned me because <laughs> it opened up with Korean subtitles. And I'm like, yeah, we could turn that off. Don't worry. It's an English movie, right? And in the beginning, the thick French accent because again, this movie takes place in Paris. I was a little worried. I'm like, is she speaking French right now? We don't get any subtitles. No, she wasn't. She just had a thick accent. But later on in the movie, there are three times where other footage is being watched. It's spoken in other languages. No subtitles. So you know what I love to do in the middle of an art house film? I love to pause it and then jump onto Tubi, where's the other place showing it, while we wait for 30 seconds of commercials to figure out what the subtitles were saying. Um, other than that, I thought it was a very thoughtful film that uh, tackles important themes like what does freedom really mean? Who are you living for? And also harkens back to Hitchcockian themes in Vertigo about living in the ghosts of other people. Um, I was a little worried in the third act when it took a thriller turn, but we immediately removed ourselves from it. Uh, and then we left uh, with one of the things I hate most in film. We end on our actor staring into the camera. But overall, man, I thought it was great. And she was good in it. I was a little shocked when she was topless all of a sudden. And I'm like, oh, okay. What about the 45-minute text? Uh... The text thing I thought was fascinating. Yeah. Um, people always struggle with how to portray text. Phones are so important in culture. How do you illustrate somebody having a conversation via phone? You just fucking film the phone. It worked beautifully. Um, also, it really worked well with her being a medium. Again, if you haven't seen this movie, what a, it's an hour 45. It, it doesn't really blow by. 
But for a girl who feels trapped, uh, she had a lot of freedom because she was driving around that moped. She was on trains, planes, automobiles. I I love it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Also, that uh, film ends the closing title sequence song is by Anna Van Housewolf, my favorite Scandinavian singer-songwriter organist. So me and Jusadi, when I talked to him, first off, I can never shut up. If you listen to the show, you know. I was down there for an hour and a half talking to him about themes in this movie. Jesus Christ. Uh, Just, you know, know, when I actually hang out with a film fan, we just can't stop. The chemistry is insane. Oh, it's like Pringles. (laughs) (laughs) So we're down there, and the only thing that we both ripped on for a good probably 15 minutes was that end credits song. Absolutely hate it. It's in the trailer. Uh, There's a bonus feature on the Blu-ray where they're at an award show. All the dialogue is dropped out, but they just play that song. Randy, you <laughs> play that song when he talks about this movie. But dude, post. It's fucking horrendous. It was laughable, and also it hurt the tone of the film, I thought. That song is wonderful. It was comedic. I love that song. Thumb up to the movie, thumb down to that song. Fuck you. you. Know, uh, they, got weird, they got Midsommar laws where she's from. Throw her off a cliff. That's a All good right. song. <laughs> the next movie I watched. Also with the East Bay cinematographers, which I'm just realizing, is a movie recommended. Actually, I heard it on the October Boys podcast from, uh, well, actually, the podcast is Cinematic Oblivion. And Harry and Nick Nordlinger mentioned a film that was so brutal that they were thankful that it was portrayed in PS2 style graphics. This is a film that I immediately forgot the name of. The Barbados Project. <laughs> Charlotte's Net with a ripped John Dobbin Jones. Um, Randy, go ahead. Cut that out. <laughs> I said I um no, and so I DM'd Harry and I'm like, hey, what was that brutal movie you were talking about? And he's like, it's called Where the Dead Go to Die. And I was like, dude, I feel like I know that title. Of course I owned it on Blu-ray. Thank you to Stephen Byro who put it out. And um I told Jasadi, who likes to come over and say, let's watch something weird. I was like, how, how about a brutal film that's uh, portrayed in PS2 style graphics? So we watched it. Um, I'll tell you, I may have had a, uh, a little bit of a, I may have been a little under the influence there of THC. I think that is the proper way to watch this film. Uh, if you're looking for an aesthetic palette, imagine Mr. Pickles, but non-ironic. We're dealing heavily with the religious themes here. But even though the film has kind of like a moral oral kind of adult swim vibe to it, they never pull their punches. And by pulling their punches, I mean, is there an incestuous orgy that involves the, a black dog with red eyes? Yes. Is one of the members dead because they were murdered at the hands of their son? Yes. Uh, is there a um, child porn ring discovered in the neighborhood? Yes. And yet, you know, I, I realized I think I'm a little desensitized. And what I ended up taking from this movie was that the CGI textures really bring it to a psychedelic world. And I think if Randy still had his microdose mushrooms, he could do it. Um, I, I do think this movie gets a lot of hate. Now, again, I don't know much about him, but the director-writer of this movie goes by the name Jimmy Screamer Claus, spelled like Santa Claus. And I he I kind of get the vibe that he's kind of like a hot topic dude who's trying to be edgy. 
And whenever you get like a, uh, you know, callback to Macho Man Randy Savage, when you throw him in the hot topic, you get Rob Zombie. And it always splits the audience here. And I think he suffers a little bit from that. There, I, I will mention that some of the voice acting in here, we have uh, Leanna Quigley does a voice. Uh, Trent Haga does Trent a voice. Trent Haga does. Yeah. So there's some interesting stuff going on. And, you know, the director has gone out and I guess he's made comments where like all of the imagery is. Um, he just chose it because he thought it looked cool. And like, if you go on Letterboxd, I think one of the top reviews is somebody like, oh, we got a deep thinking director here. <laughs> and it's if if you're looking for something a little shocking and um, full of art, go go check out where the dead go to die. Now, Harry was saying this is one of the most brutal things ever. I don't know if that really helps the film setting it up that way. It's kind of when you are about to screen raw and you hand out barf bags, like you're really putting the, the bar up there. But again, I, again, I mean, I'm, I'm in love with the girl who edited Charlotte's net frame by frame. So we, we've seen some shit. And also thank you to, thank you to fucking Stephen Byro. He's really, this is the kind of shit that would never be considered art. I have to disagree. There's value in this film, but I just, this is never going to be put on criterion and I'm glad Unearthed is doing the hard work out there. Well, that's what we have on Earth to pick up the slack from Criterion. Yeah. Stephen sure. Byro himself has said that's the point of his I We got to get him back on. But, Russ, I'm, I'm looking here at uh, at Mr. Screamer Claus's uh, IMDb page, and it looks like this is just his thing, that that sort of, um, as you said, that blocky PS2 oh, okay. aesthetic. It looks like that's, that's his uh, thing. That's fine. Because um, prior to this, it's a bunch of shorts, and it appears um, they all are the lion's share of them um, are done in this way. Yeah. I mean, I liked it. Honestly, it's it's much higher quality than PS2. Also, I should say that. Yeah. You know. But you're not wrong. Well, I get after, what you're saying. No, here's, here's the thing, and you'll appreciate it. When we were done with this and we were talking about the animation, I was like, you know what this reminds me of? I'm like, hey, let me go jump on YouTube. And I showed them the gingerbread man, the residents, a 10 minute like song. And it's right on par with that, even tonally, because the gingerbread man is like, it's a good call. Because, yeah, the um, the residents, they did that shit. Did they didn't they make a CD-ROM movie or some yeah. shit? Yeah. Yeah. So they, yeah. They play with format and everything. They get a little cute. I honestly, the residents kind of soured on me after that documentary. Yeah. That we saw, which is whatever. The Gingerbread Man, if you want to jump on YouTube right now, it's 10 minutes. The song is great. And all of the visuals, it's perfectly um, a, a tonal match yeah. with uh, Jimmy Screamer Claus's big hit, Where the Dead Go to Die. Randy's also a fan, gave it four and a half. Four and a half. I think, you know. Fuck, what would I give Where the Dead Go to Die? I think I'd give it like a three and a half. What, what would Jim Jarmusch give it since it's very close to his movie? <laughs> Probably like a five because the music is out of this world. Hell yeah. Um, and then the last thing I got is a film that we've all seen. Okay. A film that I have been dying to see. For a, film, a long time. A film that I'm very angry I didn't go to the opening night because everybody in the fucking Bay Area was like, don't go out. There's going to be the storm of the century. It was 50 mile an hour winds. That's some bullshit. The winds were rough, dude. 
I, you know, I was trying to be responsible too. I'm like, man, I got a kid. I got the problem is you don't do, 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 yeah, just the roads, man. It's just, yeah. uh, I was like, you don't know. If me and Oksana go out to see the fucking most badass movie of 2023 and we don't make it back because the earth opened up and a tornado threw us into the high winds, then Cliff is going to have to, he's going to have to do it on his own. And I, we just couldn't risk it. And then we saw it the next day. Or he <laughs> grew up an orphan. Yeah. Th- that could happen too. Or else you'd be raising him and be like a buddy cop. I'm movie. giving him to Randy. Giving his ass. Honestly, me, that's what me and Oksana would want. Indeed. <laughs> so we went out and saw Megan. And I'll tell you, M3GAN is fantastic. And it's PG 13. So this is going to be the only thing I say. If you're uh, high off of Terrifier 2 vibes and you want some gore, this movie's not going to deliver there. But everything else I thought was fantastic. The writing. There's a ton of film homage in here. I think they've elevated Chucky. This movie is a um, Frankenstein, pardon the pun, of uh, Frankenstein. I think it's got a little bit of the good son in there and child's play. I actually think it kind of um, elevates all three in what they're talking about while putting a modern twist on commentary within the tech community, tech creators, and also allowing kids to be raised by devices. But at the end of the day, none of that shit really matters. If you want to show up and see what could potentially be the most stylish slasher to ever hit the horror iconography, um, that's there. I could watch a fucking three hour. I could watch a TV show. I would watch a TV show about Megan. She's so cool. She's got sunglasses. She's always dressed perfectly. Customized. Drives cool cars. Has a fantastic dance. And she can sing like a fucking Disney princess. I, I can't. <laughs> Terrell snuck in a couple shots for us and uh, it was a goddamn party in that theater. It was, I had so much fun there. I, I put the bar very high. So now you two can drag it down. You miserable fucks. Randy, you go. <laughs> I thought it was mostly fun. I do think that, yeah, I, for, I'm not the biggest horror person here, but I do feel that uh, I would have liked an R rated version more. And I also feel that some of the, best or most iconic moments of Megan are in the trailer, which did get me excited to see the movie and is partially why I went to see it, but it also ruined some, uh, some of the, some of the good scenes in the movie. Yeah, no, that's fair. I've been using gifts of her dance moment for so long yeah. now, which is why I thought the singing was because that moment where she breaks into Titan, Titan. Yeah. Oh, Titan. Titan. Whoa, I'm having a weird film stroke right now. Titan. Titan. Dude, uh, sitting next to Terrell, who also started singing with her. Dude, that's the experience <laughs> I wanted. Away, away. Dude, but also the movie, they they just had their fingers on the pulse of how the audience was going to be feeling. Yeah. It's never boring. No. It moves very quickly. And on the show before, I've complained about the whole audiences are too savvy and filmmakers don't pick up on it. So when you get Chekhov's gun, Everybody and their mom is just like, oh, okay, this is a good Chekhov's gun. Like, it's, it's almost like a boring thing. This movie had a 48 different Chekhov's everything. They brought out his storage unit. And t- so much so that by the third act, it's kind of like I wasn't even thinking about it anymore. Yeah. And I, I dude, I don't know. I, I, Megan just has a charisma, man. Yeah. Well, okay. So there's a lot to unpack here. Um, is that a toy joke? I appreciate it. <laughs> 
uh, what was it? Funky was the name of the toy company. Oh, I don't remember. Yeah. It's, oh, but yeah. It's, yeah. Um, so first thing, I think casting here is top notch. I thought I, I think they did a great job with oh, yeah. casting. Um, Allison Williams, I dude, I don't know if she's becoming this little scream queen, but uh, she's been in several horror films the past few years, and uh, I think she did a great job here. Um, really liked her in this role. Also, I thought that um, so uh, former co-host of this show, Justin Coote, uh, was at the movie theater with us. So I was talking to him after the movie, and we we're talking about the the child that they had in the main role, and he said he kind of turned around to her because I was I was very impressed with her. Mm-hmm. Um, there were times where she had to emotionally bring it, and she did. And I think that um, it it's a tough that right there. If if it's interesting, right? So when we think about this movie, we think about all right. The purpose is we have a doll that is for children. And it is primarily focused for young girls. So the age range is a, a 10 and under, I would say, right? That's And that's about what this girl was. What, nine years old? I think that's what they oh, said. I have no, I'm terrible at aging kids. Um, That's a tough spot to put a child in to center a horror movie around them mm-hmm. is nine years old. Now, we've, we've done it before. Yeah. And we'll do it again. But it's a tricky spot to be in. And the kids got to be able to deliver. And... To center that child around trauma and losing parents, um, she had to bring it emotionally and did a great job. Then you've got Megan, the doll itself. The, 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 the reason why this movie works is because they got Megan right. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you don't get Megan right, this thing sucks. And when I look at Megan... It's not surprising to me that the screenwriter of this also wrote Malignant. Mm. Yeah. And she wrote Hellfest and is writing uh, The Witch 2. Damn. By the way. Also, uh, Black Lady. So, uh, you know. So pat yourself on the back, white guys. It. Hey. You're, you're supporting the cause. Because um, <laughs> I, I, felt, I, felt, I felt a little malignant during this. And it was. Oh, okay. Uh, you mean- also, do you mean the nun too? What did I say? The witch too? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. it's the Idiot. nun too. The nun too. Okay, God, thank that, you. Randy. That changes a lot. I, I was like, "Whoa, the witch too." God, That's crazy. The witch too. But the nun Jesus too. Jesus Christ! Talk about a movie. I pro- uh, who am I joking? I would have went and see it anyway. I walked out of the nun. <laughs> <laughs> That's because of your religious background. Indeed. You'd seen Bloodline, and you're like, "This is bullshit." No, it was just uh, something was up. I think I left my coffee pot on. But. <laughs> Uh, no, but you're talking about nailing the character Megan, and I think you're right. Because you, from a uh, modern standpoint, I think we're quick to pile on tech. Yeah. But the thing is that tech is really effective, and it does make life really easy. So the only way you could really make Megan horrific is to be so useful and so effective that it makes other people obsolete. Yeah. And they fucking nailed it. Because movement is ever so important <laughs> and here's what because you remember last week we were talking about yeah. you know with the lookies uh one of my favorite films and one of your favorite films was mad god mm-hmm. the reason why mad god and you know what with stop motion 
is because of that unnatural movement. And I think that Megan was the opposite of this, where we have something that is live action posing to not be live action. And that's what made it so disturbing, is because the fluid motions of Megan yet stuck um, you know, from the from the neck down was very fluid. Mm-hmm. And that took front and center with that whole dance sequence, which is probably the best part of the movie. Um, with that song that is paired with it that I've played nonstop now. Uh, it's very fun. Um, but yet from the neck up is very stiff. So I just think that um you that right there, I accredit that to James Wan. Yeah. And that's when you've got that steady hand in James Wan. That's what they call him, Russell. Do you know that? <laughs> steady hand not. one. They did. And that's what that's you can see that influence there. And you know, this director, he's uh he did housebound, yeah, which crushed and uh was is sort of has a, a cult status. So everyone here is competent. The problem that we were all a little worried about. Was that PG thirteen? I didn't even know. That's well. I was see, so that's excited. A part of the thing. Yeah, <laughs> because if it was Bloomhouse, yeah, if it's Bloomhouse, yeah. I'm expecting PG thirteen. Yeah, check that out. And when I read you that Jason Bloom tweet later today, explaining that if you were under twenty five and you saw Megan, thank you, because mm-hmm. uh, you know I I think that's you know because they're really trying to push. I mean, when I think of Bloomhouse, I think of mall horror movies. That's what I think. Okay. Of. Yeah. And this is this what Megan is. And for this to, what's this on Rotten Tomatoes? Like 97%? I have no idea. And I think it made two or three million on a Thursday night? Yeah. People are going to watch Maggot. Right now it's at 30.2 million domestic. That's insane for a horror movie. I think it costs 12. For a PG-13 horror movie, that's incredible. Well, here's the thing. uh, uh, They did everything right. Putting this in January was the right move. Wait, what day? On J- putting it in January. No, but what day was it? Did it come out? Came out Jan six. <laughs> Happy Q year. We're taking the day back. That's right. Megan is she's in front. <laughs> no, here's the thing. You're you're they right. They premiered it in Pelosi's office. Here's the thing. You know the rated R thing didn't bother me, and I'm a horror fan, which usually that's a red flag. But the problem, and now you're making me think about it with like Halloween. Yeah. Halloween didn't have any blood in it, and that's one of the like, hey, I'm a horror fan. Here's a, here's a tidbit. Here's a trivia question you didn't know. And it's like, well, why didn't people care? And I, I think, you know, when you're on screen, you're kind of mesmerized by the, the shape, Michael Myers. And I don't think that's really been a thing for slashers. It kind of turned into a, a, a grotesque, like, tableau every time. Yeah. Like, but this one, it didn't fucking matter. No. Like, people, there's not a big kill count in this movie. And I wasn't, normally, I'm like, dude, kill somebody. But so, I, yeah, I was talking to Coot about this because we were talking about the PG-13 rating. Now, here's the thing. They maximized that PG-13 rating as much as they could. Because well, here's, here's, oh, yes. Yeah. There are parameters that we know of that, that between PG-13 and R. One of those is you get one F-bomb. Yeah. They use their one F-bomb on a kid. So the kid says the F-word. Mm-hmm. Then they kill that kid. Yeah. So you kill a kid and you drop the F-bomb in a PG-13 rating. That right there, that doesn't happen by accident. No. So I think when all of that came together, it's 
the reason why I think it's very interesting is because this is very clear a business decision that they wanted to release this as a PG-13. Fine. Because guess what? This movie's great. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that they were, that an R rating, what would an R rating do to this story? Just put it, off people. It yeah. wouldn't do anything, no. honestly. I, I don't think it's going to raise, um, it's not going to make this movie better for me. It's, sometimes I guess you need those parameters. You do. Because uh, what we have here in the story was great. And uh, I just think it's, I only bring up the rating thing because I do think it's an interesting topic to a certain degree because I just feel like it's a slightly outdated um, idea to a certain extent that, that you know, um, because in horror and comedy specifically, and, you know, people like to lump those things together. I'm not talking about comedy horrors or horror comedies. I'm talking about comedy, horror. People like to put those together. Um, in terms of basically the other types of movies. Yeah. So when you have something like this that is able to, like with um, The Hangover, mm -hmm. R-rated, it, it blew everything out of the water. And, you know, you've got uh, like Barbarian crushed it at the box office. So, you know, these R-rated movies, there was a stigma before that they you can't maximize because you need the younger crowd. The whole movie theater module has changed. I don't even know what it is anymore. Yeah. Like, so I, I just think that for whatever reason, Bloomhouse hit gold on this. Um, and I think that it's it's interesting that I, I I honestly think they got a franchise on their hands, and I think they do too, because I think I think the country loves Megan. Yeah, and it's fun, and it's I honestly yes, it's sure you want to you want to put the um, the child's play sticker on it. You know what I mean? You have I, to. I didn't feel that at all though. Well, I mean, it's got similar themes. Sure. Actually, it does them better because if you listen to the, you know, the inception behind Child's Play, it's supposed to be a corporate takedown kind of thing yeah. about like consumerism. This does a much better job. Well, you hear early on production was like, we're ditching that. Like, we don't care. We're Child's Play supposed to open up in the top of a corporate building. And then it's like, no, we're making them anyway. The reason why I love I love the back and forth that Meg has with her developers yeah. Because, you know, she is gaining sentience throughout this movie and is having, you know, conversations about her, you know, updates, you know, with her updateors and uh, things just kind of, you know, going out of control. Um, we don't that's not really an element that we explore in in Child's Play. Um, I mean, you know, outside the, t the television series, which I haven't seen, which I heard people like. Um, but yeah, no, it's good. But again, it's genre. Yeah, and also again, sci-fi series like it's a tough sale, man. Yeah, they're just they're trying to get in in the game. But again, I I know there's a lot of people out there who are shit talking Megan, and of course they are because it's popular. And I think what you're talking about with the PG-13 and the the marketing, they they made a viral product. Like I was using the GIF, the Megan dancing GIF, the minute I saw the trailer. They're just throwing it out there because I was so like, this movie looked like it was unashamedly going to make a child's play movie where it's like, hey, we have an evil doll. It's going to kill people. Yet I showed up and they made a fucking cool evil doll. Yeah. Also, not really an evil doll. 
And they even talk about like they have the Frankenstein kind of reflection of like, you made me and you didn't know what you were making and you wanted me to figure it out. And I did. That's what it, that's the thing. It's not evil. No, it's thoughtful. This whole movie, dude, I loved it. And she's fucking cool. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, it's not about how she's killing people. It's about how she looks doing it. And uh, I use that gif all the time of her because, taking her glasses off. Because it's, her her job is to protect that child. Yeah. She did that through the whole movie. I'll tell you, too. I got a, I got teary in this movie. And I tried to hide it because me and Terrell were partying. So I was like, I looked away. But there was a moment where they were talking about her dead parents. And yeah. I was just like, oh. And it's funny because in the movie, they're using the scene as like a, uh, it comes out of nowhere. And then it's supposed to be effective. And it's it's that thing I always talk about with middleman. This is the best joke in the world. So don't show the joke. Yeah. But in this movie, they showed the conversation. And I'm like, hey, this is actually, it feels authentic. She's making a bunch of great points. And the way she's handling it isn't the way I thought she was. And it's effective. And I kind of had that moment, too, where it's like, oh, she's terrifying. Because you're right. She's, uh, they fully embrace the uncanny valley with a completely human body and a, uh, Oh, so slight doll face. Like, dude, I can't, I can't stop talking about this movie. If you're a film dork out there and you're like, yeah, but is it like a, a plastic feeling modern film? Like all of Michael Bay's movies and they have no intrinsic film um, inspiration. That's not true either. There's a great scene in a uh, like outhouse out in the back, um, uh, like a little, uh, what the fuck would you call that? Like a shack? Very evil dead. There's um yeah. they even have an homage to like the the shitty ghost walk that Gothica came up with. You remember when Gothica came out every, that stupid ass like uh, 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 uh. they even do that in this movie and I'm like they're getting cute with they're their so callbacks. Fun. Dude, they I don't know. I feel like this is a tour de force of a PG-13 movie and uh, I teased in the beginning that there was some terrible merch that I was probably going to spend too much money on. There is Megan merch on their website. Oh boy. They have a hoodie and a shirt. And it's like, here's the thing. You could just fucking throw Megan on a shirt and it would work. Yet somehow they pick two things that are, they're rectangled out. They have dialogue on them. They're not appealing, but I just want to own part of this so badly that I'm probably going to pull the trigger on it. And they have like a white hoodie. It's like, what the, f- what the fuck are you doing? Megan Hoodie, dude. And they're probably like $60 each. I don't know. But check that out. Uh, Said the man wearing a $45 hat that just says scary. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem, man. I'm a horror fan. I'm a consumer. I'm the problem. And again. That's right. Capitalist slime. Everybody talks about that dance sequence. But the best part to me is while she's flipping down the hallway. She takes the fucking paper cutter and turns it into a sword, which everybody's always done. Sure. But for some reason, her proportions in her hand, it just looks fucking cool. Yeah. It's very katana-like. Yep. And the shot low on the floor up. Yep. It just, it's like, put it on a poster. Yep. Put that on the fucking shirt. I'll wear that. I think my favorite image was when they went to the children's birthday party in the woods and they put Megan in on the giant tree with all the other stuffed animals. Oh, dude, so good. Yeah. Very good. Make that a big poster. That's Horizontal. what I, I would love that. Oh, and also you're talking about... Um, I'd put that as a tramp stamp on my bottle. <laughs> all of the PG-13, like getting it all out and yeah. with one character. Well, they kill an animal. They kill a child. 
And yet, while they're doing it, they've portrayed these characters in a um, antagonist way. So you're rooting for Megan when she does this shit. It's fantastic the way they crafted it. That's the one thing I will say. You know, I did mention about the R rating. That's I would say that's the one. Um, you know, that's that's the pound of flesh that they have to pay for the PG thirteen rating, and that is off screen kills. Yep. And that's what we got. But I didn't care. I didn't either. Because, didn't because they give you something else. It's fun. Uh, because they do the little things right. This is a thoughtful movie. It's smart. And we, we're not used to these types of movies in January. I don't know. January, they sneak out bangers like underwater every now and but then. And this is, this is better than underwater. I, I'll agree. But, even, you know, Oksana's a huge case stew fan now after watching Personal Shopper. We're generally, she may fight you on that. We're generally stuck with Liam Neeson movies in January. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's very true. And I don't watch any of those. I rewatched Cold Pursuit again. It's oh great. Oh, my God. Cold Pursuit. <laughs> um, also, I, I can't close the book on Megan without this personal connection I had with her. I just really felt connected to this character. After she um, corrected a problem that I have constantly with all of my friends involving wood tables and coasters, I felt heard and seen in this movie as there was an ongoing theme of this little girl not obeying the coaster rule. There's a stack of coasters in this goddamn room. And on Clark's table, he has three drinks. None of them are coasters. I have two. One is a fucking, it has a jacket on it. The other's empty. You're fine. The condensation is pillaging the table. There's no ice. It is robbing it of its beautiful pigment. It's room temperature. Also, you told me personally, you don't give a shit about this table. Again, I felt heard and seen. It was fantastic. So make some Megan coasters. I'll buy them. Make some Megan koozies, and I'm in. Dude, that would that swag right there, Megan coasters. I'm in. Right, that's good. That put me in contact with James Wan. <laughs> <laughs> Direct line, Randy. Connect me. You We're can, calling him right now. You can chat with Megan on their website. No, she's scary. <laughs> if she'll sing to me though. Also, oh, you yeah. look look up the girl that did her voice. Um, uh, what is her name? Jenna Davis. She, if you go on IMDb, she looks like a goddamn doll. Click, click that picture. She looks like a real life Megan. Right? Yeah, she, she's a little scary. But a beautiful voice. Disney, get her in. Megan could be a Disney. Pr- that's the movie poster. Dress her up like Belle. Oh, boy. Or like Ariel. It'd be fantastic. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Anything else? I could talk more about Megan. No, I, I do five stars. <laughs> you know, one of the best I moments. Have to pee. Okay, well, I'm not done waxing poetic about this lowbrow trash film, like you said on your letterbox. What is a lowbrow how, how, trash? How, how many uh, stars are you going to give it, Megan? Yeah, four. Oh God, you're really randying me right now, dude. You want three and a half. What do you want? Three. Fuck you. <laughs> you want four and a half? I want at least four and a half. I'll give you four and a half, Oksana. Five stars. Yeah, exactly. Five stars. It's a five-star fucking movie. Also, Jenna Davis, she was born on May 5th. Cinco de Mayo. Shout out to the fellow Taurus, voice of an angel. Are you? But I feel like you're going to forget about this movie for next uh, year. I Lucas. feel like I'm going to get a fucking tattoo of this movie. If you do, <laughs> I'm going to laugh at you. 
Okay, what, the Pokemon and the Beholder didn't make you laugh? I mean, that's fair. Yeah, it, this would be my most adult tattoo. That's also fair. The other two are rated G. All right, any uh, any other notes for our listeners before we uh, skedaddle? Yeah, um, you know, I know the humor on the show is often, uh, it's very Five jokey. stars? We're very jokey here. But seriously, if you know another celebrity director <laughs> who will take very low pay and fly out to California every week, we need somebody. We need it. It really gave a form to our show. And since David Lynch has passed, I just don't know what to do. I, I know exactly what to do. So here's what I'm hearing from you. I'm hearing from you. You need a new segment. Not a new segment. Well, this segment was I'm, utility. I'm saying, okay, what I'm saying is not a new segment. I'm saying that we dust a segment off oh, the old no. shelf. I don't like that. And we bring back psycho magic no fuck you don't give me more homework what, no, do, you, what do you think randy yeah sounds good i love psycho magic oh you're a dumb bitch randy. <laughs> randy's a traitor cut him off oxana you better not fucking agree with this <laughs> it's a different thing we needed a celebrity to give us some gravitas and he time stamped the day. i don't know dude going from lynch to jordorowski is uh makes sense like to that. me Okay, well, if we get Jordorowski to do it. Okay, Randy, get us in contact for next week. We'll fly him out. Where is he? Okay. Like Uruguay or a mountain or something? Where is he? Where in the world is Alejandro Jordorowski? Oh, <laughs> All right, nothing else? No. All right. Uh, Oksana, tell our listeners goodbye. Bye. Why? <laughs> why, do you, why me? Give it to Randy. He's better. I got, I got this. Tune in next week for our review of Gerard's Butler's Plane. What? <laughs> the movie Plane featuring Gerard Butler. Is, but it's not a money plane. No, it's just called Plane. All right, man. We'll see you next week. That's all, folks. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Overlook Hour. And if you would like to hear more, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a rating and or a review, which is a very easy way for you to support this show uh, that we bring to you every week for years now, free of charge. And as always, you can find us on YouTube at The Overlook Theater, Instagram at The Overlook Theater, Facebook at The Overlook Hour, and Twitter at The Overlook Hour. Last but not least, you can send us your emails and tell us how much you like or dislike the show at overlookhour at gmail.com. And if you're nice, maybe we'll uh, read them on the show. I've been your engineer, Randy Stat. Please join me along with Clark, Russell, and Oksana again next time. Bye. <laughs>